Let's hear the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that by the Holy Spirit you have breathed out your word, that your word is without error and is completely reliable and true. We thank you, Lord, that your law is perfect. And it is this perfect, unerring law that revives the soul, that converts the soul of the sinner to find salvation in you, that revives us who are weary and in need. And so we come to your word. We pray that you would enlighten us with your truth. We need truth from you. We need to not depend upon our own way, but rely upon what has been revealed to us. Give us your Holy Spirit to understand, to live out your word, and bring glory to Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Experience or truth? Which one trumps the other? Does your experience determine what is true? Well, I think that most of you know the right answer. You know what you would say. You're going to say that truth is what determines truth, not experiences. But how do we determine what is true? For a lot of people, it is based on their experience. Don't you sometimes say, well, that doesn't sit right with me, or that doesn't feel right. And so you are using your experience to determine what is true. But the truth should be determined by what is actually true according to what God has revealed. 
The truth is revealed in the word of God. It comes from God. Our experiences do not determine what's true. This is what many people do, though. Think about the person who says, I had cancer. And I went to this man who calls himself an apostle and a faith healer. And I walked onto the stage and he laid his hands on me and he prayed for me. And I went to the doctor the next week and my cancer was gone. Surely this man is a man of God. Surely this man is a healer. He has the gift of healing. How can you deny my experience? Or the Mormon says, I used to be a Baptist, but I wanted to find out what's true. And so I prayed for the spirit to guide me. And I opened up the Book of Mormon. And as I began reading the Book of Mormon, I felt this burning in my bosom. The Holy Spirit was revealing to me what was true. And so now I know that the Book of Mormon is the truth of God. Or someone says, you know, I was really cold in my faith. I was really struggling. But someone, a friend, told me that what I needed was a second baptism. What I needed was the baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire. And so I went to their church and I felt this sudden rush upon me. The Spirit came on me. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I began speaking in this language, and I didn't even know what I was saying, but it, I knew that the Spirit was upon me. How can you say that there's no such thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That there's no such thing as the gift of tongues? I experienced it. Or someone says... How can you say that there's something wrong with that church over there? I've been a part of that church and the worship there is just amazing. When the band really gets going and everybody is lifting their hands in the air and the songs go to a crescendo, you can just feel the Holy Spirit upon the church. How can you say that there's anything wrong with the church? It's obvious that the Spirit is at work. Or a woman says, I was trying to find the call of God in my life. And I was on this retreat and I was praying for God to reveal his calling to me. And I heard the call of God. That God was calling me to be a pastor. How can you tell me that I am not called? God told me. I heard it. Or imagine it's 55 AD in Corinth. And someone says, how dare you question my favorite preacher? He looks like an angel. He's an angel of light. He's shining all bright. There are no horns. There is no pitchfork. He's not dressed in any red or black. He is pure light. Who are you, Paul, to call that man Satan? Well, all these are people who are determining truth based on experience. Now, you've probably met people like that. You've probably talked to them. I've had thousands, maybe, of conversations about those kinds of things. Maybe your tactic in talking to people is to make them doubt their experience. Oh, that faith healer, healer you know, it was really just a bunch of magic tricks. He, he didn't really do anything. Or you say, well, you didn't really hear the voice of God, you know, when you think God's calling you to be a pastor. It was just some weird dream that you had. Maybe that's your tactic. Personally, I don't think we even need to do that. I don't doubt people's experiences. I don't doubt that someone feels the spirit rushing upon them 
or they feel like they are just talking in these languages that they don't know. Or that someone supposedly hears God calling them to do something. What we should do, though, is interpret those experiences in light of the truth. The truth is found only in the word of God. And the reality is that many experiences can be, uh, can be, uh, can appear as if they are from God, but they must submit to the word of God. This is what we see in this passage today. Paul tells us that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. You can have an experience that sounds really spiritual, that you can be sure sounds like God, that you can really think is happening to you, and it might really be happening to you, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. That doesn't mean it's the right thing that's happening to you, because Satan can come and present himself right in front of you as an angel of light. You can look at someone, you can hear a preacher, you can see that something looks really good and makes you feel really good, and it could be Satan right in front of you. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's the main truth that Paul is trying to communicate to us today, and as he's talking to the Corinthians, he wants to tell them. We'll get to that again at the end of the sermon. So let's begin looking at the passage and where we see first the problem that Paul wants to point out. And the problem is in verses 1 to 4. Well, he starts in verse 1 by saying, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Bear with me. The first 15 verses are really Paul building up to an introduction to the second half of chapter 11, 16 to 33, where in verse 16, Paul starts to make a boast, what some people call the fool's boast or the foolish speech. Uh, and remember that last week in chapter 10, we saw that Christians should not boast. They should only boast in the Lord. And so Paul is saying that he's boasting, but it's a foolish boast because he's going to boast in his weakness. That's what he says in verse 30. He's going to boast about all the things that show his weakness. That's the fool's boast. And so he starts with this kind of building up to it introduction here in verse 1 saying, bear with me as I get into my foolish boast. And he uses the same word at the end of verse 4 when he says they put up with or uh, bear with readily enough the claims of these false apostles and so he's being ironic here look if you can put up with the real fools you can put up with you can bear with me in a little foolishness and then he tells them why he wants to act like a fool why he's willing to embarrass himself with such a silly speech it's because he really loves them this is what he says then in verse 2. For, here's why, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul is willing to embarrass himself with this foolish speech because he's passionate for someone that he loves. He's passionate for the Corinthians. Passionate people are, are jealous. Paul has a jealousy for the Corinthians. But he says it's a divine jealousy. It's a jealousy from God. Uh, we usually think of jealousy, right, as a sin. Many times it is a sin. Kids, a lot of times you get jealous of other kids. How come that kid has the phone and I can't get a phone? How come that kid watches that movie and I don't watch that movie? How come that kid got to go to Disney World and I didn't get to go to Disney World? Kids get jealous of other kids all the time and adults get jealous of adults all the time too. 
and a lot of time that's a sin. But there is a good jealousy, there is a divine jealousy. Jealousy just means that you are mine and I deserve to have you be mine. And that is what God does. God is jealous for his people. We owe allegiance and worship to God alone. And so God is jealous when we don't give it to him. In the second commandment, God tells us not to make idols of him. And the reason for that is because he says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I don't want you being shared with these created things. I want your allegiance and love alone. Paul has this divine jealousy for the Corinthians. He wants the Corinthians to be devoted to Christ alone. Because here is the problem. He betrothed the Corinthians to one husband. And that husband is Christ. A betrothal back then was the pre-marriage. is like engagement, but it was more serious than we take engagement. Uh, because if you were to break off a betrothal, that would essentially be the equivalent of a divorce. And so in this period of betrothal, the, the husband and wife-to-be, they are expected to be completely faithful to one another. Uh, the, the, the woman is not to go and see if there are other guys who would make better husbands. Not to go and flirt with other guys. And that's what Paul is saying about the Corinthians. That Paul has brought them into this relationship of betrothal to Jesus Christ. And the wedding has yet to happen. Uh, for Christians, even though we are saved, we're already united to Christ in, in that sense. Salvation, in another sense, is still to come when we will fully see Christ face to face. And that wedding will take place. That's what Revelation 19 describes, that when Jesus comes back, the wedding day happens. We will be presented to Christ as the church, his spotless bride. And so when a couple were betrothed, it was the responsibility mainly of the father to make sure that the bride was pure for the wedding day, to protect his daughter, to keep her safe, to keep her pure, to present her on the wedding day as a pure virgin to her husband. And so Paul's saying that is what his role is like as the apostle for the Corinthians. He is jealously protecting his daughter in the faith to make sure that when she gets to heaven, she will be presented pure without being deceived by others and with a false gospel. While we are still on this earth, we are not to flirt with other gods. We are not to involve ourselves in idols. God deserves our pure worship. We must maintain our purity to Christ until that final day when we see him. And just like it's the role of the apostle Paul to do that for them, in a sense we can say that it's the role of a, of a pastor today to present his church, the local church, to watch over her, to protect her, to help her to fight against sin, so that on that final day, that local church will be presented pure to Christ. To watch out from any idols that might come in, to watch out for any false gospels that might lead a church astray. That's the role of a pastor. And so here's the problem in Corinth. They've been betrothed to their husband, Christ, but they're flirting with other guys. These other guys are charming, they're eloquent, they're handsome, but they're flirting, he says, with a snake. These guys that you're falling in love with, they're snakes. Paul says in verse 3, 
But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Eve was, uh, humanly speaking, married to Adam. But in a sense, there is a spiritual relationship that she had to God that we could call like a marriage. God actually creates marriage to be a reflection of his relationship with his people. Human marriage reflects it. And God speaks of Israel, his people, as his bride. And so we can think, in a sense, that spiritually Eve is married to God. They're in the Garden of Eden, just like Adam is. But an adulterer, a spiritual adulterer, comes into the scene and starts to bat his eyes at Eve, and starts to flirt with her, and starts to say all these cunning and smooth words, and promises her all these benefits. If she would just run away with him and forsake God, then here are all the great things that we'll do in our life together. The serpent was cunning. And Paul is using that as an analogy for these false apostles. This is the same word, the word cunning, that he used in chapter 4 when he said, we renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. These false apostles in Corinth, they were eloquent. They were charming. They were handsome. They were wealthy. And so they are seducing the Corinthians, to come and enter into a spiritual relationship with them, to listen to them as their church leaders, rather than ugly Paul and his silly gospel, his plain, simple gospel. Notice Paul uses the word thoughts in verse 3. We saw in chapter 10 that In the gospel, we are to take our thoughts captive. Our beliefs, our ideas, our theology should all submit to Christ. But instead of their thoughts being taken captive to Christ, their thoughts are being led astray by these false gospels that they're hearing so eloquently preached. The serpents, the snakes, have entered into this relationship and they're leading them astray. And Paul feels this divine jealousy. They're being led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then we see more of how they're doing this in verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed... Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. This is what they're being led astray from. They're being led astray by a different gospel. Someone is coming and proclaiming another Jesus, and they're putting up with it. That's why Paul's jealous. I think it's interesting that Paul uses the name Jesus when in verses 2 and 3 he's used the title Christ or Messiah. Why does he use Jesus here? Well, I wonder if it's because they, what they are focusing on and what they are twisting in their preaching, the, the opponents, what they're twisting is the life and the ministry and the death of Jesus. The title Christ, that sounds glorious. Christ is resurrected, he's king, he's victorious overall. That works with what they're preaching. But Jesus? Jesus, a man who is weak and suffering and who dies? Jesus, the man who who chapter 13 verse 4 says is crucified in weakness? I don't think those guys want to talk about that. They don't like talking about weakness. And so my guess is that when they proclaim Jesus, they don't talk about his cross. They don't talk about his weakness. They might talk about his healing, his power over demons, 
how he is super powerful, but they won't talk about the cross. And so by preaching a different Jesus, they're preaching a different gospel because the cross is the center of the gospel. And yet they are putting up with a different Jesus preached. So this is the problem in Corinth. So the question for you, first of all, is are you betrothed to Christ through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you truly have a relationship with him? Are you looking forward to that wedding day when you will see him face to face because he is your savior and your Lord? And if you are a Christian, do you have this sincere, pure devotion to Christ? Is it sincere? Is it real? Children, one of the many dangers of being a child with Christian parents, even though there are many blessings, one of the dangers is that your faith not be sincere. You believe it because you want to please your parents. You believe it because you've always been told what it is. But you don't truly believe it from your heart. You don't give your life to following Jesus? Do you have a sincere, living, real faith? Is it pure? Christians, is your faith pure? Do you love the world? Has your faith been mixed in with idols? Are you struggling still with sin? Well, All of us struggle with sin, but are you putting your sin to death? Are you seeking to live a pure life in Christ Jesus? Are you devoted to Christ? Are you devoted? Do you give your life to him? Does he have everything in your life? I don't mean, do you do devotion? Do you read a devotion for five minutes and then move on with the rest of the day? I mean, are you devoted with your life? Do you have sincere, pure devotion to Christ? Are you being led astray from that? Remember what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, that you have forgotten the love you had at first. Is that you as Christian. At first, when you were first betrothed to Christ, you had a sincere, pure devotion. You would have done everything for him. But now, you've lost that love you've had at first. Well, Paul says, don't let yourself be led astray. That's the problem. And now we see the defense In verses 5 to 11, Paul is going to defend himself. He's jealous, right? He's jealous over the Corinthians. And when he's defending himself, he's really defending the gospel. By forsaking Paul, they're forsaking the one who preaches the gospel. That's why he feels so important that he defend himself. So here's what he says first in verses 5 and 6. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So Paul first says, I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. He finally gives them a name. He's he's kind of always just kept them in the background, talking about them, but never really saying who they are, what what they are. Here he he gives them a name. He, He calls them a name. They are super apostles. Now They are not apostles and they are not super, but he calls them super apostles as a way of kind of mocking them, of being sarcastic. They are not apostles. He's going to say in verse 13, they are false apostles. 
But they claim to be apostles. They claim to be official messengers sent by God himself to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. They claim to be super. They love talking about how super they are, about all the great things they can do. But they are not super. Think about like a hero and a superhero. A real hero is someone who like, like a fireman who runs into a burning building and saves people from death. Real people saved from death. But then what are these superheroes? People are making all these movies about superheroes and just on and on, more and more movies. Superheroes are like Spider-Man who shoots spiderwebs out of his wrists and catches people who are falling off of skyscrapers in New York City. That's not real, is it? People can't really shoot spiderwebs out of their wrists. People don't really fall off of skyscrapers. That's not what people need to be saved from. And so, in the same way, these super apostles, they, they are preaching about stuff that, that isn't really real. It's not what people need. What people need is the gospel. What they need is salvation. It's not, they don't need to hear how to have their best life now. They don't need to hear about how to be powerful and rich. They need Christ crucified. And so even though they, they talk real big, they're, they're really flashy. They say a lot of things about themselves. There's really nothing super about them. They're not real apostles. And Paul says, I'm not inferior to them. And then he admits in verse 6 that he is unskilled in speaking. Probably not saying here that he is a bad preacher. Paul seems to be a pretty good preacher when you read about what he writes and what he says in Acts, Paul's a good preacher. But what he's saying is that these people have their special little techniques and they have their schools. They go to learn how to be great speakers. Paul says, I'm not doing any of that stuff. Compared to what you consider successful speaking, I'm plain and I'm simple. And so, yes, I am unskilled in speaking according to your ideas of what good speaking is. You know, some people are really good at talking. Some people are just smooth talkers. Um, we have sayings like, that guy could sell ice to Eskimos. There are some people who can make anything sound good. They can be talking to Eskimos and get them to to buy ice. And that's what these super apostles are like. They're using all of these techniques, all these ways of talking. And there's a danger. If you can sell ice to Eskimos, who can you sell the gospel to? Who, who can you try to persuade and just word things really nice to just get them to pray a prayer or get baptized? Or say that they want to follow Christ. You see, you can manipulate people by talking. Just in the way that you talk. You can be talking about anything. And you can get people to buy in. Because it's just how human beings work. You just learn how to say certain things. Paul doesn't want to do that. He knows the danger of manipulation. And so he's not going to use all these special techniques to manipulate people with the gospel. So he says he's unskilled in speaking, but he's not unskilled in knowledge. He agrees that uh, he's not an eloquent speaker like they are, but what's important is the truth, knowledge. So he defends himself in his speaking He's not inferior. But then, the next part, he defends the fact that he doesn't charge money. So look at verses 7 through 9. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone 
for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Can you believe it? Paul is being accused of preaching for free. What's wrong with preaching for free? Most churches would love it. Oh, please come be our pastor and accept zero dollars. We'd love for you to preach for free. That'd be great. That'd be nice. What's wrong with Paul preaching for free? Well, you have to consider again the culture in Corinth where success is determined basically by how much you can charge. It's kind of like ticket sales today, right? If, if a band can sell 30,000 tickets, they are considered more successful than a band that can only sell 1,000 tickets. If these speakers in Corinth can charge money and get 50,000 people to fill a stadium to listen to them, wow, they must be great speakers. And then here's Paul. And he literally charges nothing. There must be something wrong with him. Who would want to go hear that guy speak? Another part of this might be that Paul is a tent maker, so he makes tents, and they would just consider that something like that would just be below the status of an apostle. A real apostle wouldn't be a tent maker. A real church leader, I mean, he would live like a king. If he's a real leader... Doesn't he just want to live a a large life and have other people serving him? Why would he get his hands dirty making tents? And so Paul says, uh, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them. Uh, Paul didn't charge, but he clearly doesn't think that there's something wrong with being supported for preaching the gospel because he does gets supported. It's just that he's supported by other churches, not this church in Corinth. He didn't really rob those churches, in case you're wondering. He's just saying that he gets money from them, but he's working for the benefit of Corinth. And so he's saying it's like he's robbing from these other churches because they're not getting the work. They're not getting the reward for themselves. Why does Paul not want to charge? Well, because he doesn't want to be a burden, he says in verse 9, on the Corinthians. And so the very thing that they are accusing him of, of being something that's bad about him, he's actually saying, no, this is a good thing. Because I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to be a burden to you. He says he will boast about this in verse 10. He's not going to stop boasting about this because this is an aspect of his weakness. Sure, you want to make fun of me for being a tent maker? You want to make fun of your pastor for being a full-time janitor? So what if your pastor's a full-time janitor? Maybe he's a full-time janitor because that's all that the church can afford. They can't afford to fully support him. And so he has to be a full-time janitor. Are you going to look down on him for that? No. No, because he's doing it for the blessing of the church, for the benefit of the church. He didn't want to be a burden upon the church. And so verse 11, I do this because I do not love you? God knows I do. You think I'm an unsuccessful pastor? Or preacher because because I don't charge no the fact that I'm not charging you is showing you my love for you and so Paul answers these accusations about his weakness but then here's the last part where Paul has a charge against them he says that they are false apostles Verse 12, what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. So in other words, he's going to continue 
to preach and to live this way to undermine their claims about what an apostle is. They are boasting about their mission, claiming to be apostles. And they think they work on the same terms. Judge success by how much you can charge. And Paul says, I'm going to keep not charging you to undermine that claim, to show that they are false apostles. And so this is what he says in the next verse. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Here's the reality that you need to be aware of. There are people who will claim to be apostles. And they are false apostles. Just because someone claims to be an apostle doesn't mean they're actually apostles. There are people who will be workmen. They will work at preaching. They will preach. And they are deceiving. They are deceitful workmen. There are those who will look like apostles of Christ. Everything will look like an apostle. Everything that you can see in front of you might look like that person is an apostle sent by Christ. And it's a disguise. They're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Paul even says in the next verse, no wonder. Don't wonder. Don't be surprised. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, if Satan is going to disguise himself as an angel of light, you should not be surprised that people who are even less important and less notorious than Satan, they will also appear as this angel angel as this light giving thing and they are in a disguise we don't know exactly um, I mean there's no bible story as far as I know of Satan disguising himself as an angel Um, there are some stories in in Jewish traditions that Satan appears to Eve at the garden as as an angel of light and there are traditions like that But we can see over and over again in the Bible, people like Judas who appear to be good and yet are working for Satan. We see the man of lawlessness, he's going to claim to be God. And yet he will be Satan. Satan disguises himself. Satan will not appear to you with a name tag. Hello, my name is Satan. Satan will not come up to you and say, I would like to destroy your life and ruin you forever. I would like to capture your soul and take you to an eternity of hell where you will be tormented forever. Would you like to join me? Would you like to come with me? Would you like to listen to what I have to say? No, Satan won't do that. Satan will talk about Jesus like these men do. They talked about Jesus Satan will talk about the Holy Spirit like these men did in verse 4. Satan will say that he believes the Bible. Satan knows the Bible. Satan believes in God. Satan will say a lot of right things, but it's all a masquerade. It's a costume. So, what this verse tells us is to watch out for what appears right in front of you. Be careful about appearances. Be careful about experiences. What you see, what you think, what you feel. Be careful about your feelings. Even what people call gut instincts or something doesn't sit right with me. 
Well, all of these things need to be submitted to the word of God. Be careful about personalities. Our society is just like Corinth. Church cultures can be just like Corinthian church cultures where we are so easily swayed by personalities. We're so easily entranced by charisma and eloquence and notoriety. And if someone is well-known, we want to get on that train. We want to be seen with them. Beware being entranced by personalities. Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 8, that if even an angel from heaven should preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. And here's what he's saying. An angel can show up right in front of me and preach a false gospel. Just because someone looks like an angel of light, someone looks amazing, sounds amazing, don't be deceived. They could be an angel of light. Stick with the gospel. Stick with the word of God. Our experiences all need to be submitted to the truth. People today, when they're looking for a church, I'll just, I'll just give you a few more examples and then we'll, we'll be done. People today, when, when they're looking for a church, they want an experience. They want a feeling. I want to feel that, I feel that this is the right place. Be careful about judging by your feelings. What does that church teach? What does that church believe? Well, people today, they're all about what they feel and what they think in their head as right and wrong. Don't get your morality from your psychology. You can feel something very real inside of you. You can have real desires. And those desires might need to be crucified, put to death. We have today what one person called evangelical moral relativism, uh, which is not the relativism you think it means. It means you see these people who claim to be evangelicals, and then they have a relative like a son. And the son comes out and says that he's now a homosexual. And all of a sudden, that evangelical changes their morality. Oh, homosexuality is okay now. Why? Well, because my son. I love my son. And, and he's a good person. And what's happened is, your son is an angel of light. This is, this is Satan getting you to change your morality because of your child. So that's what he means by moral relativism. When a relative changes, your morality changes. But truth is not determined by what your son says or what your son believes. It's determined by what's in the word of God. So maybe you have heard of the town Manchester, New York. It's over there near Rochester, kind of. There's a man in the 1800s who claimed to be a Christian. And on September 22nd, 1823, he claims that an angel appeared to him. And this angel told him to go to a hill in Manchester, New York, where he lived. And in that hill, there would be buried a box should open up that box and he will find some golden tablets. Nobody's ever seen these golden tablets. Nobody was allowed to see these golden tablets. But this man claims that this angel showed him these golden tablets and that God interpreted and translated what these golden tablets mean. And so this man named Joseph Smith wrote what's called the Book of Mormon. Did Joseph Smith totally make up that story, that an angel appeared to him? I think probably he did. 
Maybe he didn't. Maybe an angel, what appeared to be an angel, really did appear in front of him. Maybe what he experienced was real. But does that mean that what he says is true? That what he writes in the Book of Mormon is true just because an angel who appeared in light says so? No. Because that Book of Mormon denies the gospel of Christ. It denies that Jesus is the Son of God who is equal with the Father from eternity. And so it cannot be from God. It must be from Satan. We interpret what happens in light of the truth of the gospel and the word of God. Satan pulled that trick in Corinth in the 50s AD. He pulled it in Manchester, New York in the 1800s. He's still pulling his trick today. Don't ignore verse 15. Don't fall for the angel of light. Hold fast to the word of God. Let's pray. Our God, how much we need your grace. Your grace to reveal truth to us by your spirit. Your grace to keep us to the end. Oh Lord, we pray that you would protect us. That your church here would be presented as the pure bride of Christ on that day. Keep us from false ideas, false theology. Keep us in our hearts and in our minds submitted to your word and to your truth. May we be guided by your truth alone and not even by our fallible experiences. We pray in Jesus' name.